So, Umbero, have you ever been watching the news or reading an article and or seeing a photograph or something and or a you know a Facebook post, a Twitter tweet, <laughs> a, a social a, social verse, a thing. YouTube tube, what do they call it? Anyway, <laughs> that you watch and you're like amazed by you're like, "Oh my god, <laughs> I can't believe that that happened or yeah. uh whoa, a new scientific advancement or like the thing for me all the time by the way <laughs> uh the thing for me that i always think about is when sarah palin was running for vice president uh-huh. 10 years ago ish there was a picture that was being circulated on the internet of her in a bikini with a gun with guns yeah and she's by the pool yeah. and when i saw the picture i was just like wow that's a pretty um I don't know, salacious picture yeah. or embarrassing picture. And then at dinner with my family, we're sitting at this restaurant right. and everyone's talking about various things. And I said, yeah, you know that picture of Sarah Palin in, in that bikini with the, with the AK-47 or whatever. And my cousin turns to me and he's like, um, I'm pretty sure that's a fake picture. Wait, was this at a Japanese restaurant? Were you there? I think I was there. You might have been the one to tell me. I don't know if I was the one to tell you, but I, w- I, I remember this. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I remember this conversation. <laughs> well, I might have told you about this, too. Oh, you might have, but... At any rate, maybe you were there. But the point is, is I was mortified because yeah. I saw this picture, and I knew f- about Photoshop, and I knew about people who would doctor such things and try to pass it off as real. And I beat myself <laughs> up in that moment thinking... Why didn't you at least question I see. <laughs> the veracity of this picture? <laughs> right. It's on the internet. It has right. to do with politics. It's a unlikely scenario. Yeah. Like the chance that Sarah Palin would take a picture in a bikini right. with an AK-47, it's not very high. Right. So, you know, filter Kirk. Like, why did you, uh, you know, I, I just hated that about myself. And have you ever been in a situation like that? Uh, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> I had moved to this country. I was 15, and I was living with my mom and my little brother, younger brother. And I come home from high school. So I, th- I think I'm, I'm 15, yeah. Come home from high school one day, and I'm the first one home. And I see this letter that's waiting for us. Oh. And I'm like, oh, my God. Because it basically tells me. Some great news. You're a millionaire. And so I'm wait. Yeah, I'm waiting for my brother to get home. My brother gets home next because it's like he gets dropped off by the bus, and I'm like, "You're not gonna believe it." He's like, "What? We are rich." And then he goes, "What?" And I show him the letter, and it's from Ed McMahon or whatever. It's and he's like, and he's little, but he goes, "Oh, I think those are not real." And I go, wait, what? No, 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 no. Look, read. And, and I read it. And it says, it says, you have won a million dollars. Like, what is that? That's, we have won a million dollars. All we have to do is fill out this information and submit it. And I convinced him. You know, he was pushing back a little bit, but I finally convinced him. And he was like, oh my God, you're right. And then we both worked each other up into a frenzy. So by the time my mom got home, we were... Oh my God, mom, you can't believe it. Like we were so, we were bouncing off the walls and she's like, what, what, what? And then we're bursting. We're telling her we're millionaires. And then she's like, what are you talking about? And we show her the letter. And of course she knows a billion percent what's up. 
And so well, is there something from your adult life that, well, you, that you can somehow? Yeah, uh, but my, my point, make my point feel with less that stupid about my Sarah Palin picture. Well, but my point with that story that's is just a cute story. Well, yeah, but I was fifteen, right? But, but the thing is, fifteen. You're well, from Colombia. But then it Columbia. kept happening, dude. I would get the calls from the from the penny a penny a month club, and then I would subscribe to all the magazines, and I I kept falling. I I fell for the quick star thing where they were like, "Oh, we're recruiters from a high tech company." So my point is, I had this pattern for falling for things, right? Oh. So when those email chains started in the night mid nineties, I, I I took a serious look at that email from the prince in Nigeria, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Oh, is you this? did. I mean, I didn't. I didn't. Do anything about it, but I seriously was like, "Whoa, this, yeah. this sounds incredible, right?" And then when when time went on, and like I think the first social media thing was MySpace that I was involved with. Um, people post stuff on there all the time, and and I I remember the things that I would be amazed by and never double check were a lot of the celebrity stories. People would post celebrity stories all the time, and I was like, I, I don't know. And to this day, I don't know how many were real or not real because I would just assume. These were real stories. <laughs> yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about critical thinking skills because an anonymous patron wrote in. She, <laughs> she said, um, how can I improve my critical thinking skills? Right. For example, in a recent podcast you did, you critiqued an article from fatherly.com that tried to suggest that attachment theory was incorrect. Admittedly, I am someone who sometimes takes these articles at surface value, so when I read one, uh, so I, when I read one of their claims, so when I read one, their claims tend not to question. I tend not to question it too much. I remember listening to a different podcast you did, wherein you mentioned how a number of the writers who cite these studies are not trained in reading them properly, as well as how many of these writers will quote studies that have a super small sample size. What are some of the signs we should look for in these types of articles? So let's get into that. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carcanda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Umberto? My name is Umberto Castaneda. Can't say my last name. And I uh, repair faucets and I do other handiwork. So regarding research articles and you know, these sort of technical articles that are written. Sorry. Let me ask the question. So regarding news articles or blog posts or, you know, internet things right. that say this study d does this or attachment theory isn't a thing. And let me provide you with the science regarding why attachment theory isn't a thing. How does one navigate the reading of that so that they don't get duped? Right. So I'll tell you from my perspective, I'll just tackle one narrow topic, which is nutrition. What happened to me around nutrition information? Yeah, because th this is true of any subject matter. It's definitely true of nutrition. Uh, so you know, three years ago, I was diagnosed—not diagnosed, but I went to the doctor, got blood tests, and my blood results were really bad. I had high everything that's bad and low everything that's good and whatever. So I decided to change my how diet. Are your, how are your midichlorians? Oh, the midichlorian count was strong with that one, and um, I decided to like change my diet. So I went and started trying to do research. And, you know, before that, I had read the Zone books. You know, I'd read the Zone. So I was generally aware of, of you know, I, I was generally aware, like, certainly a lot of sugar is not good and stuff like this. But, and I had already been buying organic food for many years. I, I didn't like the idea of cruelty to animals and all that. But I started looking for information out there, and I quickly became overwhelmed. Because everyone claims to be an expert, 
everything seems to be disproven by something else. And like there's articles everywhere and things. And so at first I really struggled with this and I, I wasn't sure what I could believe. Something that was really helpful for me is I found a channel called nutritionfacts.org. And what this channel does is rather than just kind of regurgitate opinions that they've had or that they heard or whatever, what the whole point of the channel is this guy reviews the published peer-reviewed studies and he summarizes the, the, the results of the studies. And he, he provides recommendations and conclusions based on not one study, not two studies, but like dozens and hundreds and hundreds of ongoing studies. Good. So as I go through my principles yeah. that I just came up with, uh, you know, in the hour before we started recording, uh, let me know which of the principles you followed on this path. Okay. Because I'm guessing that at least they, there's some, some matches here. Yeah. Number one, when you are trying to figure out the truth, um, well, actually, maybe rule zero <laughs> to add before all this. That now that I'm typing, is um, uh, our science is young. Um, so. There's this notion, this bias, that we've figured out 99% of the natural world. Right. And that is not true. At any given point, humans generally think that. You know, right. back when we were bleeding people because – and we were doing that up until like the mid-20th century, right. by the way. We thought, we figured it out. You know, it, we've been doing this for years and it's been working for years. Right. Um, so uh, what's the chance that today in 2019 – um, you know, or what's the chance that in a hundred years we're not going to look back at 2019 and and think, or what? Anyway, what's the chance that in 2119 yeah. we're going to look back at 2019 and go like, boy, we really had figured out most of science <laughs> right. by that point. We are in our infancy. In, I mean, think about we're likely to be around for the next you know ten, twenty, hundred thousand years as a species. Um, in some, you know ups and downs let's say if we make it through each gate yes yeah uh the next gate is you know climate change <laughs> we're likely to, some of us are likely to survive if not most of us and the the science that is going to be advanced the advancement of science the, the deeper understanding the the deeper levels of a resolution that you can actually look at things like neurons and right. and cell uh, function and systemic function of the body, genetics, you know, all these kinds of um, is just going to be so much more advanced in the future. So that's rule zero is like understand that you might be look you might be barking up a tree that is not the tree you should be barking up. What you should be barking up is trying to get a time machine and go into the future 200 years <laughs> and ask them the answer to this question. So, right, And then you get there and they're like, whoa, 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 stop. You invented a time machine? Yeah. Way to bury the lead. <laughs> so to, do you think about that like, okay, I'm going to go to this site and I'm going to look at the research and I'm going to try to glean answers to guide my life so that I can be healthy, yeah. so that I can live longer and live a more healthy lifestyle. Um, do you think, well, there might not actually be the science available yet to really... Oh, dude. And not only do I think that, but I've I've ran into that wall. So one of the things that came out in that when I did that blood test was uh, this T4 and T3 values, they're related to your thyroid. 
and uh, one of them was a little elevated. And, you know, through uh, when I talked to the doctor, she said, well, we probably should start. What we might want to do is we'll run the test again in, in a few months. And if it's still high, we'll just start giving you synthetic hormone for your thyroid. And I read up on it. And it's basically once you start on that, that's the rest of your life. Now, it's fine. People live long, healthy lives with that synthetic hormone. But your thyroid starts actually at that point like shutting down and being like, okay, you got this? All right, cool. I'm, I'm out of I was like, fuck, really? And then the thing that, that I, I realized was that it might be this autoimmune response called they call Hashimoto's. And I go, oh, fuck. So I looked up, well, what's the Hashimoto's cure? There's no Hashimoto's cure. Okay. Well, what can I do for Hashimoto's? There's nothing you can do for Hashimoto's. And I'm like, really? And then I started looking everywhere. And then some people were saying, no, actually, you can do this. And some people are, no, no, nothing works. And I was like, wait, there's this thing out there that people are, like, are aware of. And no one knows what to do with for it at all. And there's barely any studies. I can't find why. Why? Why is this happening? Right. Yeah, yeah. because you were seduced by, particularly maybe the American narrative. Sure. That we have everything figured out. We have out, doctors. And there's a there's a solution for everything. We have at universities. And especially if you have the money. Right. Right. Like if you got the money, we got the cure. That that's the other one, by the way, that. I was convinced, right? Because you, you, you hear such and such billionaire just died. The Coke billionaire died and stuff. Uh, you would think, well, these people have so much money. I'm sure they're not going to get a normal disease, a normal heart attack. It's like, no, man. These people still die from heart attacks, cancer, strokes, all sorts of stuff. Right. So that's rule zero. Rule one is look for a consensus among experts. It's important to not trust the claim of just one person, um, even if they're citing lots of research. It's important to look to the consensus. Um, examples of strong consensuses are the following. Climate change is at least partially caused by humans. There is an overwhelming consensus among, among experts, right. not among politicians, but among people who actually study the science and don't have a political agenda, that climate change is at least partially caused by humans, if not like 90% caused by humans. By the way, right there when you said, and don't have a political agenda, the point of, of looking at what the majority is finding in their findings is to try to rule out any little bumps and biases and, and little an anomalies because you're not looking at one person. You're looking at a mass of scientists. Right. It's highly unlikely that all of them have the same exact bias for all the same exact reasons. Exactly. Something like 98% of climate scientists agree that climate change is at least partially caused by humans. And they all could be wrong, right. you know, but uh, the likelihood that someone else has a better answer right. is extremely limited. Um, smoking raises risk of cancer. Right. Okay. Most of us understand that. Why do we understand that? Well, that's because, for whatever reason, the consensus among those scientists has become accepted by general culture. Smoking raises risk of cancer. Sun damage to skin raises risk of cancer. We, why do we understand? There was a time when that was debated. Oh, yeah. And there was a time before that, before no one even thought that was possible. Right. So how did we develop that? Well, we studied it. We looked at many different angles. We didn't just look at humans, but we looked at rats. We looked at 
um, how often someone got sunburnt. We looked at the physics behind photons and charged particles and radiation and what it has on any molecule, let alone DNA. And we pull all those different findings and observations together, and the consensus among uh, physicians who study such things, cancer and the skin, their consensus is, it's probably 97% or something, agree that, according to the evidence, it, it does, the, right. there's strong evidence that the more sun damage you have to your skin, uh, the greater your risk for cancer of the skin. Yeah. Um, another strong consensus is general, relative, general relativity. There are many cranks who refute general relativity. Yeah. Many cranks will say, like, Einstein was wrong. Right. Many cranks will say, like, no, I, I figured it out. It's not general relativity. It's blank. There, it's one of the classic narcissistic sort of tropes, really, is to claim that Einstein wasn't right. right. And, but you talk to all of the experts, not cranks, people who actually studied it for their entire lives— 99% of them uh, agree general relativity holds up under scrutiny of the evidence. It relatively does. And though th that's the consensus. Uh, to lose weight, you need to lower your calories and to increase your exercise, uh, mainly lowering your calories. That's the consensus. Right. Uh, now, you will find many people that will say, like, you don't need to lower your calories. You can eat as much as you want. Right. Or you don't need to exercise. You can just sit on your ass all day. It's all, you know, there are many different cranks that will claim, or if you take this pill, you <laughs> will lose weight. Or if you have a positive attitude, you will, you know, there are many people, but you go to the experts, not the people who are online. We're talking about the experts. Now, the problem is, one, consensus is sometimes wrong, uh, which can confuse people. But the other, con the con the other complication is, how does the public, how does Joe Schmo? access the consensus right how do you where do you find that there's not consensus.org <laughs> you know like if you're trying to look for the consensus on diet where do you go wikipedia uh maybe <laughs> maybe Wiki, maybe wikipedia is probably like a good place to go to as as one of the hundred places you would look yeah um it wouldn't be the place but, for sure yeah, but wikipedia wouldn't have an entry for the best human diet um they, what they have but is they, but they might, diet. But they might say uh, the consensus is. And sure. Wikipedia is, because because it's you know looked at by a lot of eyes, it's it tends very to, curated. It tends to gravitate towards the consensus. Yeah. You know, um, googling what diet should I have will give you the opposite result. Right. So uh, that's uh, one of the hard things about our society today. So for you. Right. When you look at that diet site, do you believe that that's a consensus? Oh, so uh, when when I stumbled upon that, uh, it was – the way I stumbled upon this was I found a video on YouTube from this Dr. Michael Greger giving a talk at uh, one of the tech companies. And he was just giving a talk. And the guy talks very funny, but – I sat there and I listened and I'm like, oh, okay, this, this is a little different kind of content than a lot of the other videos I've been watching because a lot of those other videos are just, here is this thing I tried and it's worked for me. This guy was not talking at all about like, here's the thing I tried and worked for me. He was talking about studies and he was quoting and citing studies. And then he was talking about not only like one study, but whole like meta studies. So and 
great, and I'm wondering where this is headed. But this is not consensus. This is one person identifying lots of research, which is great, which isn't just one study, and it's not anecdote. So it's not anecdote. He's not just one study. It's many studies, but it's still just one person. Well, no, but, but the, the, you're one person talking about the consensus, right? Meaning you were just saying that there's consensus about relativity. Right. But, but it's there because is a you're, consensus about that, relativity. That's right. It's because you're quoting the fact that there is a consensus. Right. So, yeah. And that's so, what he's doing. He's saying, look. So he's talking about, uh, the, he's not talking about himself, his own right. findings. He's talking, about, he's talking about here are these other people that right. are also saying this. In other words, he's not saying, okay, here's one study that shows this. It's like, here are like whole swaths of 20 years worth of studies, and they all seem to point to these generalities. So that's the consensus. Well, I'm still not. That's not a consensus. That well, the consensus is how to read the how to read. And so this is actually a key distinction, and maybe you're getting to this, but for people out there, is one person can can lay out a lot of studies, right? Which is definitely away from Crankville, right, and towards Soundville or Trueville, or as close to truth as we can get, Empiricalville. Let's just call that. So we got Crankville and Empiricalville. Uh, so citing one person citing lots of studies is getting closer to Empiricalville, but but one person can still not understand what they're looking at, and they can also cherry pick ten studies that are sort of demonstrating their point or something. Not that the person is malicious, but it's just the way. How many experts look at all the research uh, in that area of diet research? And conclude the same thing. You know, sure. it, it's it's so it's not just one person looking at ten studies. It's it's a thousand diet experts looking at all the data and what a, what's the what's the overarching consensus conclusion? Right. But so not every field has, for example, a panel that's been accredited as being the consensus agreeer. Right. Almost no. Field. Almost no field has. Yeah. So the only thing one can do to, to try to understand in some of these cases whether there is apparently consensus is to look at the, the vast quantity of the studies and see if there are things that keep coming up over and over and over as consistent conclusions. That's one, but uh, with diet particularly, and this is because I'm just as a layperson as you are when it comes to this, that I would and I have relied on uh, sources that I trust that um, are experts and are much better able to read the studies and in- and interpret the overarching conclusions. I mean, some diet research studies, I don't even understand half of what they're talking about. You know, it's like the language is very technical, you know what right. I mean? So, so, um, so like, for example, my physicians that I talk to, I trust them. Right. Um, I trust dietitians that I talk to. Not every dietitian, because I've actually talked to some dietitians who are not, they don't say to me what I've heard from other people. Or 90% of what this dietitian said tend to agree with what other dietitians said. Um, so I'm waiting for that leap for that, yeah, that but, you're making. But, but th- th- there's the problem, right? Like, y- you need, what you're saying is essentially you need. I don't know, hundreds of Michael Greggers saying the same thing. Maybe 10. Right. Okay. So, but what does your physician say about Michael Greger? Well, I don't know about my physician, but the point is that, like, you have to start with something, right? Right. So, you started, have you asked your physician what they think about Michael Greger? No, but 
That's have true. you asked anybody what they think about Michael Greger? I haven't asked people I know because no one I know knows who Michael Greger is. But I've certainly or the findings that Michael Greger. Well, I've certainly like watched a whole bunch of other like people that are doctors and experts who talk about Michael Greger. Okay. But it's not just about Michael Greger. It's because about again, the findings about the findings. It, that, we talk about the same studies and the same epidemiologic studies and the same meta analyses and the same like decades worth blah blah. blah. And and a lot of them. What are the conclusions? By the way, I'm just. Curious. Well, in this case, it's like the the main stuff is, uh, you know, meat and uh, processed meats lead to like inflammation and h- higher risk of cancer. Um, the uh, populations that tend to have the longest longevity tend to have the highest amount of vegetables, like whole whole plant based kind of ingredients in their diets, definitely including beans, right? Like these are some of the commonalities. Um, But my point is that like there are many different kinds of players in this field. Right. So I would imagine that most physicians would agree that uh, vegetables are good for you, (laughs) that eating more vegetables and that Americans in general don't eat enough vegetables. Right. Um, but that, but I feel like traditionally that's been sort of a, a well yeah like that's their opinion man <laughs> you know well no uh, from my understanding of the science epidemiolo- epidemiology studies they take you know a thousand people and they say how many vegetables do you eat sure and then they track to see how soon they die and the people sure. who eat less vegetables die sooner but, but it's like well a counter example is what, what's happened with vitamins is that you know, there's been studies that show that people that eat more vegetables and fruit tend to have lower incidence of, of cancers, right? And so the, the thinking is like, well, there must be some ingredient in there that's helping. And then through many years, they figured, oh, it seems to be like these antioxidant reactions. Okay, great. So then they do act- antioxidant tests on cells and in small animals, and they seem to have an effect. Then they do antioxidant vitamin supplements with humans. And they seem to either not have any effect or in some cases have negative effects. Right. So I go, oh, wait, what? Well, that's because their original conclusion was wrong. Or the antioxidants have to be, and I'm not a biologist by any means, but from my understanding of that scientific question, is the antioxidants have to be in the midst of the delivery of the uh, vegetable, which also carries with it a lot of other things that we actually right. don't even understand. And that's, how, that's what many, many folk now believe is that, first of all, it, there's not one antioxidant. There's like gazillions of antioxidant variants, right? right? And vegetables and fruit have like tons and tons of different variants of them. And they have a whole bunch of other ingredients. Right. But so could, we probably but it, don't understand the full interaction. Yeah. And it could. Right. Exactly. Right. There's a lot of different. I mean, but, the one, the but one that's thing, the kind of example I'm saying. So like the conclusion isn't you need vitamin supplements. The conclusion is you need vegetables and fruits because that's right. the only thing that the data so far seems to be showing. Right. Now, to your point about early young science, the problem is the reason I can't give you the same kind of consensus as relativity for this is because there isn't in that sense. There, what there is are there results after results that seem to be coming up consistently in studies. But the fact is that there are way too many people that are still not on the same page. Right. Uh, and so and, if and, you're asking me, is there consensus in the field of nutrition? You're probably right. There isn't enough consensus in the field. But of there are some things that are that from what I understand, my look mm-hmm. at those experts, there are some things that you can glean from, that they will almost universally agree with. Yes. Like... 
eat more vegetables. Well, uh, that's a great example. Don't because- eat sugar. Uh, make sure you're hydrated sufficiently. How much that means is somewhat debatable, but there's probably extremes at the you know low end of hydration that you could probably yeah. just sort of intuit. Um, don't drink alcohol that much. Don't uh, drink caffeine that much. Um, right. So, uh, so this, these are great examples. So the vegetable in particular is a really good example because recently this other doctor, right, another person came out with a book. And I don't know if it's recent, but they had this book and they had this whole thing about how plants will kill you. Uh, and, they, they, you know, because he's talking about these, these actual things that are called oxalates and things like – you know, if you eat plants, your stomach's going to eventually die, your, your intestines will die, all these things, right? Well, the consensus commu- of the community rejected that, right? Because right? they said, well, okay, no, that, no that's now, crazy. Now, I'm, okay, <laughs> so good. So I'm positive this crank had a lot of data. Yes. And anecdote. Yes. And, you know... Uh, oh, and real stuff, because there are real ingredients in some things like spinach and other things. Blah, right. blah, blah. It's sort of like the fallacy of like... Um, well, anyway, so let's yeah. go on. But, but so, so right here, right away, we're demonstrating that it's hard for something as simple as, as diet. It's hard to find the consensus. Right. And who has time for that shit? Right. Um, and that's just about diet. I mean, imagine if it was something like... Uh, you know, the the article I read where the guy uh, wrote this article about how attachment theory was proven to be not real. Right. And they were actually talking with experts uh, who said attachment theory is, is bogus. Yeah. And uh, how, how does someone find the consensus on attachment theory? Um, it's really hard. So, uh, but try. And if you don't have the consensus, if you don't have a good bead on the consensus then know that you might not know the answer to the question yet and allow yourself to have that question mark. And I want to appreciate what you're doing right now, which is um, uh, from, this is just my take on what the way you're talking about this. Over the past few years, and maybe even 10 or 15 years, you've gone down a lot of rabbit holes on the internet around, you know, zone diet or whatever, and have been convinced or persuaded of certain things and maybe tried out certain things. And then you read more, and you're like, well, wait a second. I think I was convinced down a certain road where half of it was true and half of it wasn't. Right. And you're, you're, you're allowing yourself to be like, oh, I, I think that one person I can't really depend on. I was totally on board. I mean, the zone diet thing was such a big thing in the 90s. Right. I can't even remember the, the doctor's name, but it was such a big thing. And some of that, it seems to be the consensus today. But some of it seems to not be the consensus today. Right. Um, uh, so the point is, is that you're, you're not locked in. And, and then you're even allowing yourself to say, like, I've spent a lot of time on this topic to look into it and to really become a, a sort of expert layperson in the area of diet because I'm, I'm really concerned about what I eat and my own health. Um, and I'm still kind of lost you know i i I have to admit that i i have to just say uh i i still have a basically uh, just a basic understanding that my grandma probably could have told me (laughs) you know what i mean well and and and, and that humility and that that willingness to say i don't know and maybe my conclusions are wrong um is very important to right. the skeptical mind. 
Totally. And the uh, critically thinking mind. And I'll say uh, another thing that's, that's through this process, and actually through that site, that he's got all these videos and stuff. The way, the way he does his videos aren't just, uh, oh, here's the latest tip. You should eat more avocados, right? The thing is he actually, like, in his videos, he goes through the studies and he, he like, he talks about their conclusions and what was, in, ca- in many cases, he talks about potential flaws, potential conflicts of interest, like all these kinds of things. So one thing that made me interested in it, because he, he annotates all the links to all the actual studies, is I actually started looking through studies. And it's a slog. Some of the stuff is really hard to, to yeah. parse through, right? And I know you know that. So, but I started doing it. And it's a great new skill. As an example, just a few days ago. Well, let me, okay. I'm going to interrupt you. Okay. Because, so I got tip zero, rule zero. Right. Remember, our science is young. Two, uh, or one, look for the consensus. Two, learn how to read research. Yes, yes, yes. It's hard, um, but if you, it's practice. And uh, if you're in college or you're going to go to college, try to take as many intro to research classes as you can take. It's very helpful. The way I learned how to read re- – I was a therapist for 10 years before I really understood how to read research. I'd gone – I'd got my master's. I'd read research. But reading research is something – you only learn one by reading thou- – I've read thousands and thousands of research articles, you know? Yeah. And two, actually having someone explain to you statistics and how all that works. And so, you know, you have to learn about sample size, replication, effect size, correlation or causation, degrees of freedom, cherry picking, um, general statistics, like – for example, um, uh, like I had a dream. This is a little bit off topic, but it's it's related. Before nine eleven, about a month, I had a very vivid dream, and I woke up and I might have even written it down, but it was very vivid to me. I'm st- this is before nine eleven. This is you know August eleven or something. Yeah, t- two thousand one, and I'm in a building. It's all glass. Like, it's one of those very fancy, you know, office buildings that's lots of glass. And I walk out the front door, and I, I look up, and I see this, this jetliner, you know, 747 uh-huh. kind of jetliner. And it's, it's flying kind of erratically. Yikes. But it's flying straight towards me and all the other people. And I'm like, holy shit. And, I, and it flies in to the building right above my head, oh my God. Like, like 40 stories up. And because my brain, because this had never happened before, I, it, didn't, it, it, didn't, it wasn't intuitive that it would explode. You know, seeing yeah. the clips on TV, you see the thing instantly, the jet fuel just instantly explodes, right? That didn't make sense to me. I didn't think it would ignite. So the way I dreamt it was... Um, all the fuel fell on all of us who were standing outside and didn't ignite. And so I'm sitting there, um, this thing goes, you know, the glass goes everywhere and the the fuel, you know, sort of rains down from the sky and lands on me and everyone else. And I go, for some reason, I was like, you got to get inside because then we won't burn up or something. I was like, so, so we all ran inside the building. Okay. 
pretty close to 9-11. Yeah. I mean, not exactly, of course. But ridiculously close. Okay. That so, never had happened. Right. It, it had never happened in the history never of the world. Never had there been a movie where it happened. Not even a movie. But I had a dream about it a month before. So then 9-11 happens. And like a day later or something after the trauma, I remember I like, wait, I had a dream last month. And, right. and da, 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 da. And I said to myself, because I have, you know, I, I'm part human who yeah. was just like, I must have had a premonition. On the other hand, the, when we understand statistics and you understand coincidence and you understand actually how uh, probability works, the chance that in my lifetime, oh, so no, the chance that I would have had a dream so specific about 9-11, within a week of 9-11, prior to 9-11, the chance is probably like a million to one or something. Probably worse. Yeah. It's very low likelihood (laughs) that that would have happened. So you're like, well, then- Ipso facto. It must be that some other explanation. It can't be coincidence. It's too specific. Okay. But that's the wrong question to ask. ask. The The other question is, what's the likelihood that in my lifetime- I will randomly have a dream that will randomly match up with an event in my life or in the news, uh, a story I hear. What's the chance that in my lifetime I will have at some point in my 48 years on this planet, I will remember one dream that will coincide in part with an event within a year after? The chance of that happening is extremely high. So the so so by that lens it's like well that must have been the time. You know, it's like you uh what's the chance that you know you spin a wheel and, or you play roulette and there's 35 numbers. What's the ch- you know what's the chance that you're going to land on the number? Well, the chance at any given moment is 1 out of 35. Uh, what's the chance that if you play all night long, that eventually you're gonna your number's gonna hit? Well, it's actually really high. Um, so, understanding statistics helps you to under. So that's just one sliver of statistics, and understanding that helps you to understand how to read research as well. Because um, some findings, they will you know they'll say you know this it they'll they'll say we found to a p value of point zero zero one that these two numbers are correlated. Well, it's still a chance that it's coincidence. You right. know what I mean? And when you understand that, then you can read the research through informed eyes. Yeah. I mean, like in, in your example, the thing that's tough um, is that there, you might never, ever, ever in your entire life have another event like 9-11. Right. So it, what makes it what makes the odds not as common is that, well, that was happened to be a, a dream that you remembered, which you probably don't remember most dreams, right before the probably the biggest news event of your lifetime. So therefore, that makes it like, but, uh, but just like with the universe coming to being, sometimes things happen. <laughs> right. Now, uh, if this happened a lot to a lot of people and we could predict it, now we'd have to form a theory about it. Right, and, and that's that, I think that's that, that's the part and, that and that's that, never happened. Right, that's when the thing that keeps missing. When people say like, "Well, I can read people's minds," and then they try to do experiments about it, and it doesn't reliably work. Right. So, when you understand statistics, that one sliver of it, you can actually understand. So, sample size, 
uh, for example. A lot of people misunderstand sample size. They'll, they'll look for sample sizes of like thousands of people and they'll say like that's a good study. And a sample size of like 50 people or even 10 people, not valid. It's actually not true. Right. It depends on the method. It depends on the conclusions. It depends on the, the, um, where it lies. Like an fMRI study, for example, it's so expensive to do an fMRI Right. I mean, imagine you have to get a subject to agree. One, you have to put them in an F, in an MRI machine. Right. Any anyone out there know what an MRI machine looks like <laughs> and how it operates? It's 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 a process. Yeah. It's expensive those MRI machines as well. Then you have to stimulate the brain somehow and like have them look at pictures while they sit still, and you you have to make them sit still while you measure, and then you inject them with uh, you know a certain a compound that you know uh, highlights oxidiza- oxidization of certain areas of the brain. Right. You measure it. That is so expensive. Um, but if you do ten people and nine out of ten have similar results, that's a good study. And you add a sample size of ten. Now, were those just ten random people that happened to be like that? Could be. You're going to have to replicate it. Um, but it's still a good study. Now, if you ask ten people um, that you know whether or not they think Trump is going to win the next presidency or something, or if, whether or not they're going right. to vote for Trump, that's not a good study. Right. Uh, I think most of us under, understand it. So sample size is something that we need to focus on, but it, there's nuances to it. Uh, replication. This is a big problem in particularly my field of complete lack of or very low levels of replication. You need things to be replicated, you know, depending on the claim hundreds of times uh, from different angles in particular before you can say uh, anything. Like, for example, and I'm only 80% sure of what I'm about to say, but uh, hopefully I'm not wrong about this, so take what I'm saying with a grain of salt because I didn't research this prior to doing this, but there was a big study that came out in a TED Talk of this woman about the power pose. Did you remember hearing about this? The what? The power pose. So it was this sensation. A lot of listeners probably remember this. It was like five years ago-ish. Hmm. There was this research that said if you do the power pose like Superman, uh-huh. you put your, your, you know, your fists on your hips and you stand like Superman, yeah. and you do that for like five minutes or whatever, then you have higher self-esteem, you perform uh-huh. better cognitively, people see you more favorably. Perfect. It was this, this pretty interesting finding. It was, it was this, whole, it's this whole field of... Um, uh, somatic psycho, I can't remember what they call it, body psychology, I think, or something. Of the secretology. <laughs> and it kind of makes sense. It's like, uh, according to other empirical research, it's like if you believe in yourself, you tend to believe in yourself. Sure. If you have high self-esteem, you tend to act in more positive ways about yourself. People tend to like you more when you have better, higher self-esteem. Standing in the power pose seems to be in that direction, right? <laughs> and she had done the studies. She had she and, and her colleagues had done the research, and she had done the TED Talks, and, and everyone was convinced. It, it was a thing, particularly, okay. particularly among women. Um, thousands upon thousands of women were standing in the mirror doing power poses before they went to an interview. All right. And then replication happened, and they found no effect from <laughs> the power pose. Right. Uh, so what does that mean? Uh, that means the power pose doesn't seem to have an effect in the way that the original study, particularly the conclusions that were brought uh, forth from the original researchers. Why is that? Well, because people are trying to sell books. Right. 
that you know for every person who was on a TED talk is trying nine out of ten of them are trying to sell something. They're trying to put their kids through college, mm-hmm. and part of that in, is involved in them giving a TED talk. Well, there's a little bit of motivated reasoning there to not be skeptical of their own results, right. maybe even deny replication, maybe even not try to replicate, maybe even try to massage the data, which happens, to make it positive. Because imagine spending, you know, here's the, here's the process that researchers go through. And publisher perish. They literally lose their jobs if they don't have publishable papers. Um, they're sitting in their office and they're like, shit, I got to come up with some kind of hmm. research thing. Um, and it, it's got to be interesting. It can't just be like, I can't just replicate some. That's another problem with replication. It's not very sexy. So you're like, okay, what am oh, I going to do? Interesting. That's a catch-22. It's Right. Like, I could try to validate this thing, but that's not going to get me anything. Yeah, and I might lose my tenure, <laughs> I might, or I might not get tenure, or I might not sell that next book. No one wants to read the book of the person who replicated a study. You know what I mean? <laughs> I replicated the the power pose study. You know, no one. You're not, you're not going to get any TED talks for that unless you get lucky and you and you prove that it doesn't work. Right. <laughs> well, then no, but no one wants to hear about right. that because it's not. It does. It's not interesting. Oh, that's true. Like you just yeah. prove the null hypothesis. Right. It's like it's like you didn't find anything. It's 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 not interesting. Lifting weights does nothing for you. <laughs> and they've actually done studies on studies to find which studies get published, and null hypothesis studies are drastically more um, makes sense more sadly. rejected yeah. yeah you know no one wants to for whatever reason re- no one wants to read a study of we had a question about that power pose and we found nothing like yeah. no one wants to see that study and so they just don't even publish it even oh though it, even though it's rigorous but okay. it's written somewhere in some doc somewhere it's it, it's in a drawer, in a drawer. so <laughs> i i have plenty of colleagues who desperately tried to get their research published and it just never got published. Wow. So it's not like every study is published. It's no. a, it's a minority anyway. So you're sitting in your office, you're like, I got to come up with something interesting to study. Okay, well, uh, I'll do this. Okay. I got to raise the bunny. Okay. I have, I got to go to meetings. I got to, yeah. I got to sell people. I got to do the power pose before I go in and try to sell <laughs> and get grants, you know, from the uppers or from whoever. I've got to convince graduate students to do my work. I've got to give lectures and inspire people and get them into my, you know, I'm slowly building this, this like team. And it's, it's all basically on one person's shoulders, a lot right. of the, especially psychology. Biology, it's usually like teams of people, you know, like labs of people, you know, and CEOs. But in psychology, it's often just like one person, one professor is just like, this is my thing. They get all these people together. They get the they get the money. They set the 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 methods. They do fifteen studies. They drag you know thousands of graduate students through as participants through the study. And at the very end, there's just a little tweak you can do. Just a little tweak to the numbers. That's that's like not cheating. That makes the difference between not very a, not a very strong signal. And a pretty strong signal. Right. Well, which one are you going to do? And th- this is six years later. This right. is six years of your life. You've been giving talks, dinner parties. What are you doing? Oh, I'm studying the power pose. Six years later, you're like, you find out, so there might not be a signal here? I thought there would be a signal. If there isn't a signal, I, no one's going to publish it. All those people I dragged through this are going to be like, why did you do this to us? You had this mm-hmm. hypothesis. And it was wrong. What a worthless piece of shit researcher you are. I'm going to go spend time with this other researcher who, finds, who actually finds something interesting. Right. So 
it's science is not just this altruistic investigation of the of nature it is a particularly in psychology it is a ego driven um slog <laughs> and uh so yeah. anyway so replication effect size is another thing um until recently a lot of uh publisher uh, articles they wouldn't even list the effect size so for example let's say you have uh you have you know uh well let's do democrats republicans so let's say a study comes out and says that democrats are significantly they have a significantly higher IQ than republicans right okay so you know the p value is very low uh science is proven uh on average uh, they won't even say on average. They'll say Democrats are smarter than Republicans. Right. When you dive into the research, you go, okay, well, one, it's on average. There's there's two bell curves, yeah. and one bell curve is slightly higher than the other. Then you dive in even further, and sometimes they don't even list this, but if they do, you find that the effect size is 0. 0.05 IQ points. Sure. <laughs> so the difference between IQ 100 and 101 is almost imperceptible. Um, it's there, but it's pretty slight. In fact, it's probably in the error bars of, yeah. you know, of measurement. And you can have a 0. .05 on average. So, you know, Democrats on average have an IQ of 100.05 and, and Republicans have an average IQ of 100. Um, all, basically a meaningless difference in average. Ba in essence, Democrats and Republicans have the same IQ on average. But there's a slight little difference, and what you can say from that, because it's not wrong, is there's this, you know, Democrats have a significantly higher IQ than Republicans. Mm -hmm. But unless you less, unless you say the effect size, it's misleading. So this has been a scandal with a lot of drugs, um, because, you know, they'll do things like such and such drug showed 200% improvement over the competition. Right. And it was, it was like, 0.01 instead of 0. 0.00, you know, two or something. You know, like in other words, like they, the they, the original effect of the other drug still not good. Like right. it's, but this one's just teeny teeny bit better. But when when you compare those two numbers, it's a big increase. Right, and it still has no positive effect on the body. Right, <laughs> or the the effect is so small that if you knew about it you would say, well, both of those things are basically yeah, worthless. Like, I, I recently heard one of these real stories about, um, it's, a, I think, a statin drug, I think it was, hmm. and how when you compare it to, there's, there's things you can eat, ingest naturally that have better impact than these specific statin drugs. But the way they would advertise it, it would make it sound like, you know, double your chances, whatever, I forget what the details were. But it's because they were only talking about in comparison to something specific. And so it's like people don't get percentages, right? So if they were saying, like, let's say it doubles your uh, chance of survivability or something like that. But, oh, but, but the asterisk is in comparison to some other little caveat, right? right? And, and in reality, it only, in their studies, it might have added like a day to some percentage of the, you know. Right, right, right. So, yeah, this is good. So just to reiterate what you're saying is, Someone could come forward with a pill yeah. and say that this pill, in comparison to this other pill, will uh, increase your lifespan by 400%. Yeah. And you're like, 
whoa, 400% lifespan? Sign me up. But the other pill extended your life by five days, yeah. and this is extending your, is, you know, extending your life by 20 days. Right, right. That's 400% of five days. Right. So uh, on average. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the, uh, that's part of the problem with our inability yeah. to understand math. Um, I got to race through because we got to do, but I want to take a break, so let's do that, Berto. Yeah. All right, we're back from the break. Please become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. That's how we statistically know that you love us. All right, so that's number two is learn how to read research and probably take a class in college. Three is find experts who seem to know what they're talking about. That's what Umberto was doing. He was searching for an expert who seemed to know what they were talking about. Um, Other examples would be like Mythbusters, you know, Smarter Every Day on YouTube. Do you watch Smarter Every Day? No. Uh, Mark Rober no. on, on YouTube. Uh, New York Times, these kinds of places. Uh, it's not obviously uh, a slam dunk, but um, just trying to find experts. You know, asking me about, about psychotherapy is a, is a good idea. Asking me about climate change or diet is not a good idea. Yeah. Um, number four, be skeptical of claims that have any of the following uh, markers. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, be skeptical of claims that put money in someone's pocket, like Dr. Oz. Um, but this can be taken too far because, like, sometimes people, th- they anything from Big Pharma, they will uh, disagree with. It's like, oh, Big Pharma, they're just in it for the money. It's like, okay, uh, money can taint one's yeah. uh, uh, motivations about promoting certain ideas, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what's happening. So it's but so just be aware of that. Be skeptical of claims that support someone's political ideology. This is an obvious one, right? You know, uh, people, for example, Democrats saying that research shows that Republicans are stupid. You know, it's just like, well, be just be skeptical. It might be true, but you just got to be skeptical. Or Republicans using research to support that climate change isn't, you know, isn't that bad or isn't happening. Uh, these people have political ideology that, for whatever reason, holds you know, values that sort of motivate them to promote, to cherry pick certain studies. Um, be skeptical of claims that are based on anecdote or a single study. Be skeptical of claims that denounce entire disciplines. This Flat is some, earth. Well, yeah, uh, but those are pretty obvious. But th- <laughs> things like everything you've learned about diet is wrong. Yeah, no, no. I, I, and I know it's so easy for us to laugh flat earth off. But and you've talked about this. You have friends in your life. Like we know, there's people yeah. that will watch those videos and buy into it, right? Um, but there are more common things, sure. Like you know, um, what your doctor will never tell you, sure, sure, sure. So that kind of claim, it's writing off an entire discipline. It's possible, but usually it is complete crap. Right. Anything that just says, you know, every get everything you knew, every physicist, every you know, yeah. astronomer. Every uh, teacher doesn't know this or something. Every, every psychologist, right. blah, blah, blah. Um, any claim that makes leaps. So be very careful. So the beginning of the article, they lay it all out, and it's all things you agree with. Watch for the leap. You know, uh, Crystals are a scientific wonder in that they 
combine certain electrons that line up in a certain way. And we still don't fully understand how they're formed. We still don't fully understand. And that's why my crystals will cure your cold. Quantum physics is a perfect example here, right? Okay, so that was my last one. Okay, okay. (laughs) Anything, anything that mentions quantum <laughs> quantum theory I see. <laughs> that's not actually talking about sure, quantum sure. theory sure. Um, is 99.9, if not 100%, indication of bullshit. Yeah, yeah. This is the common one, which is, uh, look, I don't know if you know this, but quantum theory appended everything we know about reality. Right. And it turns out that reality doesn't even exist until someone looks at it, yeah, like which true. means... You make your own reality. Or buy my book. Or quantum entanglement, and somehow that makes you have ESP. Yeah. It's like you just, wh- whoever's talking to you either doesn't understand quantum theory, which is likely, and or they know they understand it and they are just trying to trick you. So anything that mentions quantum theory, unless it's a quantum theorist, <laughs> Uh, you should just be like automatic bullshit. Just like anyone who claims that a politician is a Nazi, you know, it's just like oh, so and so is a Nazi. It's 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 a rule, you know. It's just it's a it's a known trope that people have that you just, uh, you've crossed the line. <laughs> Maybe your point is anyway. Five is um, some topics are poorly reported in the media, and you just have to know those particular topics, um, like. Uh, Lung cancer and cigarettes. Anything written on the internet, pretty safe, right? You're not going to see a lot of crank around. You know, there's not a lot of people writing about about how like you can smoke cigarettes. Right. And, and that that wave died. Yeah. There, there's for whatever reason there's certain topics in science. Um, how cell phones work. You know, there's not a lot of cranks out there going like the scientists would like you to believe it's from RF. You know, radiation. Right. And, uh, you know, microwaves. and But really, it's from quantum entanglement. You know, it, no one is writing like that. Right. Everyone's like, yeah, I'm sure the scientists understand how cell phones yeah. work. But there are certain other things, like diet, for example. 99% of the shit that's written on the Internet, I would suspect, is complete bullshit right. on, the, on the Internet. Anything regarding health, psychology... <sighs> Um, all the classic pseudosciences, ESP, Loch Ness, Monster, Big Money f- Making, <laughs> Bigfoot, UFO, Ghosts, um, you know, there's there's so much bullshit that is written on the internet. And any, anything that says how much money you can make per day without leaving your house. Right. It, that's another topic. Like, yeah. there's probably one out of a million different posts that actually contains something that's right. helpful. And so you just have to know... Okay, this person's talking about diet. Right away, I have to be careful about handing myself over to. Number six is be skeptical of breakthrough research claims. Um, so, Berto, which of these seem credible? Credible. I actually pulled these from the internet. These are headlines. Okay. AI. So these are these are breakthrough claims okay. of last week. Oh, just last week. Yeah. Oh, fun. I like AI, this. artificial intelligence may be as effective as as medical specialists at diagnosing disease. Okay. I mean, that's a very broad claim. That's a breakthrough claim. Well, claim. yeah, but I mean, if they were, we're talking about... The claim is, we don't need doctors anymore. That that claim is ridiculous. But if, if the claim was um, for certain kinds of tumor detection in 
uh, spect- spectrography or in, in x-rays, uh, ML is now at a level where it can actually out- outperform doctors. Right. So you've probably seen these studies. That's pro- it's probably something related to that, yeah. of just like in a very niche yeah. application, AI or machine learning is probably right. a better way of putting it, is... Uh, is a good tool yeah. for physicians to use in addition that will help them catch things that they wouldn't be able to catch yeah. uh, otherwise. Can our, you know, robots walking around diagnosing diseases better than medical specialists? No. So just, so again, right. that headline, and that's the other thing, any headline, you just have to go like automatically, I'm going to assume it's stupid. Right, right. Um, it's clickbait people. Yeah. Okay. Another one. Coral die-off predicted as oceans heat up, uh, I do believe that some yeah ocean heat has a correlation with coral health. So if they mean complete coral die off in the next week, no, right. But if so, they mean a, a trend over time, yes. So this is a pretty big claim: is the coral is going to die in the oceans as it as the oceans heat up, but the but we under we you and I have background information yeah. on uh, consensus around oceans warming up, global yeah. heating and global warming, and how coral responds to different temperatures. Um, so that so that headline stands to reason. Yeah. Uh, NASA says they'll return to the moon again and again. NASA says that they'll return to the moon again and again in the next six hundred years. Like, but. That's a pretty big claim, right? Sure. So how do you know if if that's credible? I mean, I'd like to see what they mean by NASA. Was it the head of NASA? Was it right. some guy that well, interned at NASA? Skeptical? I mean, they've gone to the moon before. Because they haven't gone back in right. decades. One, they haven't gone back in decades. And the, and the funding has dried up. Two, and, yeah. we know from other sources, from yeah. credible sources, that, the, that NASA doesn't have the budget. Right. That our government, like something like... Two percent or something of our budget, or I don't know, five percent or something of our budget in the '60s went to NASA. Right. Today it's like point one percent. Yeah. So, uh, so they just don't have the money, and it just seems like okay. Plus, from my understanding of NASA, they're just like, okay, and and Trump was saying we got to go to Mars, and then the next day, all the astronomers and all the yeah. people at NASA were like, okay, great, Trump. How about actually funding that project? Because right. uh, telling us to go to Mars is we would love to go to Mars, yeah. but we need the fucking money. We need pal. the money, Lebowski. Yeah. Um, last one. North American's bird population has decreased by 30% since 1970. North uh, American's bird population yeah. has decreased by 30% since 1970. So that's a pretty big claim. I, I, yeah, are you skeptical? Is does it seem credi- credible? I don't. I don't know anything about birds in North America, but uh, given that there's been massive die-offs all over the world and so many species, and that we've driven species extinct all over the place, I guess I, I would look into it. But it sounds like it could happen. Right. We know from other consensus reporting yeah. that there have been massive extinctions. We, yeah. we are at the beginning of a. Ma- Some people say we're in the middle of a mass extinction. Yeah. So 30% kind of makes sense. Plus, there's always a general extinction rate anyway. Um, Last one here. Air pollution exposure has made children, and of 7,000-ish people, uh, air pollution exposure made children more likely to visit the emergency department for anxiety, depression, adjustment disorders, and suicidality. 
This study adds to the growing evidence that air pollution harms kids' mental health even in the short term. That was another uh, headline. Uh, well, knowing that lead in gasoline alone caused irreversible damage for years, uh, I do know that environmental factors in the air can have a dramatic effect. Uh, so maybe. Yeah, maybe. But also, uh, I'm skeptical of this. Mm-hmm. Now, let's, let's look at it. And I actually looked at the study. Um, large sample size, you got 7,000 people, so okay. something. Um, but causation. So you have one group of kids who, ha- who has lots of air pollution exposure. You have another group of kids who has lesser air pollution exposure. And you don't actually know they're exposed because the method was based on, like, where they lived. Yeah. Um, they could – one of you know, the kids who live in the low air pollution – area could have a father who likes to work on his car in the in the garage and regularly like pumps exhaust like they don't know that because they didn't they didn't actually study the air pollution they didn't put a sensor on each of the kids head yeah um they actually just said well you live in this neighborhood so and we've measured the air pollution in the air so that's one thing and if you live in a neighborhood where pollution is higher Likelihood is there's a billion other differences between those neighborhoods. Exactly. Air, higher air pollution neighborhoods tend to have lower uh, socioeconomic status, um, lower education, lower uh, family cohesion, right. uh, lower general health. Or imagine if, if they used like, well, we went to Shanghai, where air pollution is very high. We measured kids there. And we went to, I don't know, rural Nevada, and we measured kids there. Right. <laughs> like... Those worlds are so different in a in a billion ways, right? Chinese society, blah blah blah. So, um, so the causation isn't demonstrated. So we just don't really know <laughs> um, effect size. It's not even given. So again, how much right more uh, mental health problems were the air pollution kids experiencing? Right. right. Was it point zero zero one more, yeah. but but a significant difference, or was it like? 10 times the rate. Yeah. I mean, again, they didn't even give it in, in, in the article. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's, just, there's just all sorts of... Okay, so the last tip here is become familiar with cognitive biases and distortions, and I'm just going to rattle through these. Um, perception is not reliable. Memory is not reliable. So when someone talks yeah. about, like, um, you know, I did this and this happened, even studies that ask that, Right. So you ask people, um, you know, sometimes they'll say, like, we've proven that people in Denmark are happier than people in the United States. Well, h- how do you measure that? There's not a happiness blood test. You have to ask people in Denmark, how happy have you been recently? Yeah. <laughs> you know, how happy? Just tell me, like, in the past year, how happy have you been? Um, one, memory is fall- fallible. Two, how does one interpret happiness? You know, anyway. Yeah. Uh, motivated reasoning. Uh, all of us do this. We all want, like, for example, with Umberto's uh, diet person, or, uh, well, I'll just apply it to myself. If I see a study that refutes uh, that humans are at least partially responsible for climate change, I am much more likely to disregard it, even if it's strong science, because I have motivated reasoning. I, I have decided for myself that climate change is a thing and that humans are contributing to it. 
And anything that contradicts that, I'm, I'm very likely to be like, eh, even though it might actually be credible. And so uh, we're all victims of that. And so when you understand that, then you are better off at being at thinking critically. Um, learn proper logic. This is actually a pretty complicated thing. Lo- you know, there are entire courses on philo- the philosophy of logic and epidemiology and everything. Mm-hmm. It's a very complicated thing. How do we know what we know? How do we work out things? How do you know? It's not just A equals B and therefore B equals A. Like, there's a lot of weird things that we do that you, when you study it more, you understand it better. Um, also, we have a tendency to project things onto randomness. Pareidolia, they call this. You know. A common example is you look at the clouds and you see an image, you know, like a penis or something. Um, A lesser example is you wear your lucky shirt during a football game, your (laughs) your team wins, and you think, oh, it must have been my lucky shirt. (laughs) Did you ever watch that uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, When the the Philly, uh, the Eagles are are in the Super Bowl. Caca, caca. And uh, so, actually, that episode was a two-parter, I think. Yeah, it was. (laughs) And the first part I loved, and the second part, it just seemed to... I I don't like when shows go real gross with lots of puke and blood. Yeah. Like, that show kind (laughs) of goes in that direction sometimes, and it's just like, okay, like, I don't need to watch that. Another thing is confirmation bias, you know? Um, For example... People will conclude that when there's a full moon, weird things happen. You know, they'll be like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. You wouldn't believe what happened to me. Uh, The Mm -hmm. the amount of weird things that have happened to me over the years uh, during a full moon, like something weird will be happening. And I'll be like, wait, is it a full moon? Is it a full moon? They'll check. Boom. It's a full moon. Okay. Uh, Now, that's normal. Totally. It's a human bias. All of us do this. Right, right, right. Unless... You understand that you have a tendency to do this, you will fall prey to it. The fact is that when you actually look at the hard data, nothing weird happens on a full moon. The same amount of pregnancies, the same amount of births, the same amount of uh, crimes happen regardless of the phase of the moon. There's, in some instances, there was a slight, slight uptick in crimes during a full moon. And the speculation is, well, it's just easier to see. <laughs> so you can cat burglar a little bit more easily at, at night, you know, when, when it's right. a full moon or, or, or some kind of signal like that. But anyway, uh, but a lot of studies that they show there, there's no difference. Because why would there be? Why well, would no, f- that there could be. But this is the thing with all of these things. There could be any number of billions of trillions of unknowable reasons for things. But that's why we run studies and we right. try to – because, you know – Gravity, <laughs> tides, and who knows? Tides go in, tides go out. You can't explain it. You can't explain madness. <laughs> um, also, our tendency to not know how little we know. Uh, this is a measured bias. They call it the Dunning-Kruger effect. There's a, an empirical <laughs> bias that all of us have. The less we know about something, the more confident we are in our ideas about it. Yeah, actually, for some reason, I, I actually don't have that problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, like... This is why I, at times, will want to talk about things such as diet or politics right. on this podcast. And I very quickly, I have to, it's a practice. I, I feel very confident. I'm going to talk about Bernie Sanders. Right. And then I have to say, wait a second, Kirk, you're not an expert on politics. 
you're a complete fucking layman's <laughs> when it comes to you're a layperson. Yeah. You consume the news on Google for Christ's sake. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> and the chance that you're going to come across uh overly confident about something is extremely high. And so uh, in your casual conversations, fine, but on the podcast, you cannot talk about that. Um, Unless it's an opinion about a movie. <laughs> well, which is fine. <laughs> well, I actually feel kind of like you and I have a little bit of an expert opinion on at least critical. We watch a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah, and, and have read a lot of criti- sure. critical takes on movies and yeah. stuff. Anyway, um, but politics is extremely complicated, particularly like. I'm not a politician. I'm not privy to the conversations that happen. I'm not actually in the Oval Office having these. I don't know. It's all filtered through the goddamn media. So I just have – now I can have opinions and I can vote and, you know, and I do. I've – by the way, I've never missed out on a vote. Every single vote since I was 18. All the primaries, all the propositions, every single time. So we have you to blame. (laughs) And so – well, just look at the track record of Seattle and and Washington – I think I think uh, it speaks for itself. Yeah. Um, so uh, the uh, point is, though, that when we talk or when you're listening to someone talk about something, uh, just because they're extremely confident doesn't mean they know what the fuck they're talking about. It's also kind of a mansplainy um, narcissist. Uh, yeah, no, no. So I, I just I get triggered by the whole mansplaining thing. I just got triggered on Facebook the other day. So some some gal on Twitter or something. Wait, can you explain to me what <laughs> mansplain means? <laughs> Mansplaining is a confl- conf- conflation of of problems. So there's a certain personality type out there that likes to redundantly well, over-explain things to S- people. Start with what happened. Okay. So some some gal on Twitter posted uh, a joke. And it was uh, a joke. Forget the joke. Anyways, someone replied, and in either the driest humor way possible, which is possible because that's a little like me, corrected the supposed mistake of the person. But it wasn't a mistake. It was it was a joke. You're not, you don't you don't want to give the specifics. No, I, I would if I remember. I just don't remember the the dumb the damn well in joke. the ballpark. So we understand the context. It was just a comment on Twitter about something that has a double entendre. And then the, the person corrected the double entendre as if they didn't get that it was a double entendre. Oh. So as an example, let's say someone said, <laughs> what's a double entendre? Like, uh, um, I, I like my movies Fast and Furious. No, like, or like piano. piano. Pianist and penis. Let's say pianist and penis or something, right? Uh. Someone makes a joke about like, I love me, a big pianist, right? Okay. And then someone comes and says like, I think the word you're looking for is penis or something like that, right? Oh, yeah. But it's like, well, and I'm, I'm butchering the joke and the thing because it has nothing to do with this at all. The point is the dude made a, a dumb comment, right? It is, it's a, uh, either he's being very sarcastic and unfunny, but like in this kind of dry way, or he literally didn't realize what the joke was. In either case, he got trounced on by the internet, which I'm totally for. Like, sure, that was unfunny. She made a funny comment. You're, you're not funny. Fine, we'll trounce on you. But many of the of the comments were like, there you go, mansplaining away. And I'm like, really? Because, again, this person, well, is, that's their personality type. Well, so I wasn't there. And I would support that 
use of that because it's it's definitely a male thing to do on the internet as as a person who's been I found it. Uh, okay, you want to read it? Yeah. Okay. So the joke was every and it's funny every seafood restaurant in D.C. should have a special this week called Squid Pro Quo because of the quid pro quo of scandal, right? Every restaurant in D.C. this week should have a special called Squid Pro Quo. It's funny. Some guy, and this was a gal, some guy replies, actually, the expression is quid pro quo. Right. So Not so, squid. It's right. Latin. Right. So uh, <laughs> this is, I, I, I'll allow it, although it's a gray zone of the usage of the term uh, mansplain. And I do agree, the term mansplaining for, I would say, 1% of women is overused. There's, there's one out of 100 women, they either don't really understand what mansplaining actually means um, or they just love to use it because they think it's funny and interesting. It's sort of like when uh, the word creep became kind of real popular about five years ago. Like young women were just like, oh, that's creepy. Oh, you're creepy. And it, <laughs> like, like there were there, <laughs> there were like a few women out of a hundred yeah. who anything that sort, of, that sort of bothered them, they were just like, oh, that's creepy. And and it was like, I don't think you understand what that word means. Let me mansplain to you what the word really means. <laughs> you know, uh, like it, like if they would be, um, uh, you know, at the McDonald's and the a man, an older man, a manager, yeah. would uh, be taking their order and would say like, um, "All right, well, have a nice day. I'll have I'll have the food out to you in a little bit." Oh, that's creepy. Yeah, and they'll be like, "Oh, creepy." It's like it's not fucking creepy. It maybe it's awkward and you didn't like it. <laughs> but creepy is like it's 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 there's a sexual there's like, an extra level that yeah you need. like a sexual predator <laughs> level of creepy like you can't just apply it to any old man. So, so did, what, did you used to walk up to girls' no. tables and say, "Actually, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, of course, you know." But anyway, so there's there's certain people who will sort of bastardize or overuse the term mansplain. This one I'll allow it because it's <laughs> it's a frequent thing on the internet where men. Uh, take it from someone who gets fucking mansplained to a lot by by right. men by men on the internet. Uh, who that the now it's a stretch because we don't know the mind of the commenter. Yeah. But it it there's there's um, there's a whiff that the commenter yeah. walks around in a superior state of mind, yeah. saying to himself, "I'm smart." And everyone else is yes. dumb, and particularly women. Yes. And oh my God, she got that thing wrong, and I am I'm gonna correct her. And it's just like, dude, did you stop to think you don't understand the fucking joke? Right. And so one of two things is true, and that's a mansplaining thing. Why? Because men are taught not that it's not their fault, but they're taught that they have to be smart, they have to be dominant, they have to be in control, they need to correct other people because that asserts their worth. And so they latch on. They they look for things to to refute, and that's why YouTube fucking sucks in the comments section. That, that's what I totally disagree with because in in my life, I have been corrected in quotes way more often by females than by men, and I think it's a personality type. I think it's a personality type. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, it, it, there are there are many vectors to being. Uh, shall we say, splained to. Yeah. And uh, men are perhaps slightly more likely, it's hard to know, 
to do this sort of thing based on the way that they're socialized. But certainly women can splain as well. And I guess I also – maybe I was wrong. Maybe this was my bias. Is I thought mansplaining had a little bit to do with sort of, here, little lady, let me, let me walk you through And there is. And, there this, is. and right? if you're a woman, um, you, uh, you, ask, you ask the average guy – it's just you know you just go around you you take a group group of fifty people and you ask all the all the cis men in the room how many of you have been repeatedly and noticed that women walk up to you and will look down on you like oh little boy you don't know what you're talking about right um, and let me explain this to you right. uh, about you know let's say half or a third will raise their hand oh yeah. I've noticed that as a pattern in my life. My wife does it. My mother does it. My boss at work does it. There's another woman at work who just always talking about how many of the women you ask, they'll all raise their hand. They'll be like, oh, my God. And I can name five to ten people off the top of my fucking head who talk to me like I'm a child. And and and, and I'll grant you that, for example, in my experience, it very well could be more of a racial thing, like a racist thing. Because the experiences that come to mind were generally older white women over-explaining things to me. And so, sure, it could be like, oh, this poor Latin boy doesn't know what the fuck he's thinking. Which is a whole other phenomenon. Right. Uh, and of, it could be. Of, of, of white, <coughs> white-splaining. White-splaining sure. is absolutely but, a thing. But I guess and maybe the reason it bugs me is because that person either has a, a, a you know, very sarcastic sense of humor, in which case it went over everyone's head, or they are that person, and that person would have answered that same way had that comment been from me or from that lady or from a kid or from an old person because they just are that person. They're like, I must comment, and I must make my voice heard. And I've seen I've, – you know, we all know these people. So it just bugged me. I was like, that's not just because they're mansplaining to a woman. They're yeah. just that person. Well, you're looking to the internet as a, as a rational, wonderful place, it's particularly Twitter. I fucking hate Twitter. Do you, I didn't even know you looked at Twitter. Well, no, but this was on Facebook. It was someone oh. posting a thing about. It. Uh, so, um, so we, so we're back to the Dunning Kruger effect. None of us know the things. The things we don't know about, we tend to underestimate how little we know about it. Um, we also tend to see things fairly easily. Like um, another cognitive problem is uh, when uh, we tend to trust our perceptions. You know, yeah. Like for example, when I was a kid probably seven or something, I saw like nine UFOs. Uh, I remember exactly where I was in my car, like noon or something. I look ahead, sunny blue sky, and I see in the, you know, it, it, during the daytime, I see these, these, these uh, lights in the sky and they're in this formation and then they yeah. started flying around. And I was like, whoa, I just saw a UFO. I just saw yeah. like nine UFOs. Um, the chance of it actually being a, a UFO, it, uh, you know, a, the chance or an of an alien. Let's say the chance of it being an alien is almost right. zero. The chance of it actually being something that I that was actually there is also almost zero. Um, but I was convinced, man. I saw that thing, but it wasn't, you know. And I always remembered. I was like, well, I saw you. And then later on, I was like, I bet you anything, I just hallucinated it. And that's a hard thing to accept. It's a hard thing to say. I either hallucinated something in the moment mm-hmm. or my memory is bad. And 
we tend to uh, uh, default to, well, I did see it and my memory is good. When in fact, uh, I'm positive I saw nothing. Um, Another thing is that um, we, we don't like unknowns. You know, we don't like things to be unknown. And so when, like with diet, for example, it's extremely distressing, and you kind of described that earlier. Yeah. That as you interface with the science, you kind there's a, you start to realize after you know you started with the premise like oh there's answers I just need to find them. You start looking to the experts to find the answers, and you start to discover, wait, I think I think the scientists don't have the answers. Right. Maybe they have some answers, but maybe everything they're saying right now is wrong. I mean, there was a time when they thought fats were bad. Right. And that was wrong. Uh, and so, wait, is, is it unknown? Is, are my questions, like, not going to be answered in my lifetime? Right. That's extremely distressing. And when we are in a distressing moment and we have a solution to us, like a charismatic speaker, then it's very soothing to, to have this guy stand up and say, I have the answers yeah. for all you people who are looking for answers. Let me lay out a charismatic, uh, you know, argument, and the Jordan Peterson effect, and and you will be soothed, and you'll be oh, answers, answers to life's questions. I have the answers, right. and so to become comfortable with the fact that we don't know. A classic example that we can all hopefully relate to are UFOs. UFOs are, unidentif- are, unif- are unidentifiable flying objects. They're unidentifiable. We don't know what the fuck they are, or the person who viewed it doesn't know what the fuck they are. That doesn't mean they're fucking aliens. It just means you don't know what it is. Right. So why do you have to fill in aliens? You know, why? Because we have a hard time accepting that we don't know what it was. I just saw a thing. I don't know what that was. Well, in my head, if I tell myself it's aliens, it somehow feels better. And we just have to understand that, that we tend to... The last thing is we have cultural biases, of course. Um, in the diet world... We have this notion of natural. If, right. if something's natural, that means it's good. That means it's safe. That is not necessarily true. It's not even a good, a good heuristic to go really on any level, particularly on labeling, because naturally the natural label on a uh, product at the grocery market means nothing. Um, you know, Try to find anything around in that aisle that says chemical. <laughs> like they all say natural because there's no there's no uh, federal regulations around what exactly natural means. It's just a thing that you say if there's if it's like anyway. The point is, is natural in our society and I'm guessing other societies means safe and good. Chemical anything that looks like a chemical is uh, in our culture is perceived as something bad and unsafe. Also, not necessarily true. Could be. There are plenty of natural things that are terrible for you. There are plenty of chemicals. Everything is chemical is the thing. Mm -hmm. Water is chemical. Uh, Plants are chemical. We are chemical. Um, Our proteins are chemical. Everything is chemistry. So so all all these notions of natural versus chemistry is a cultural notion that we're biased towards. I, even though I know this to be true... And I've listened to a lot of experts talk about this. When I see a chemical in my food, it freaks me out. But I have right. to say, well, that's that's just a belief. It could be bad, but it also could not be bad. I, I think one of the challenges is that for millions and millions of years, 
no creature had an ability to go much far far beyond what was available in their environment as far as consuming it. Now, of course, if they ate a poisoned plant, they would they would die, right? But in general, so even an early human of say ten thousand or let's go a hundred thousand years ago or something, uh, they could do a couple things. They could like I'll, I'll heat this thing up and it'll change its composition a bit. But now we have the ability of jumbling together things in ways that that no one's had a, even a beginning of a chance to evolve, you know, support for in their bodies, and no studies really to validate whether in the long term these things will work well or not. And hence why we get things like cigarettes and things like chemicals that don't work well with our bodies and plastics and things like that. So I think what what happens is we've now seen so many cases throughout the last, I don't know, 50 years or something of, oh, that wasn't, oh, we, we shouldn't have put lead in the paint. We shouldn't have, that we're like, yeah. Oh, Chem- chemicals. Chemicals are, are bad. Chemicals are bad. Yeah. Yeah. We were wrong to mess with nature. But take but take iron, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, iron's a fucking chemical. Um, so, anyway, uh, that's why we have these notions, and so you just have to understand that about yourself and understand that marketers are going to exploit that. Yeah. And uh, charismatic uh, sellers of books and TED Talks are going to exploit that. Okay, so to review the different uh, rules. Zero, understand our science is young. One, look for the consensus. Two, learn how to read research. Three, find experts who seem to know what they're talking about. Uh, Four, be skeptical of claims that have certain characteristics. Uh, Five, some topics are poorly reported by the media in general, and so you just want to always be skeptical. Six, be skeptical of breakthrough research claims, uh, uh, particularly ones that say everything you know is wrong. Uh, seven, become familiar with all the cognitive biases and distortions, which are really pretty complicated. Um, at the end of all of that, uh, I hope that you aren't um, disheartened because a lot of people can look at all this and be like, well, who has time for all this stuff? Mm-hmm. And that there are certain shortcuts. Find resources that seem to know what they're talking about. Birdo has found his. Um, on one topic. On one topic, <laughs> which is diet. Uh, once you find that resource that, you know, seems to be credible and isn't trying to sell a particular ideology, and that's always the thing, is like, do they seem to be pushing the same idea over and over and over again? Um, and and do they seem to benefit from that, from that notion? Um, find those sources, maybe it's even like uh, a particular newspaper or something uh, online. Find that, uh, a podcast, for example, and once you find that, then sort of rely on that as one of the sources that you look at. Um, and so you don't, have to, you don't have to constantly search the internet for every single angle to things. You know, if, if you find those, those certain thought leaders, then they can usually sort of be your your guide to that arena. Um, and the other thing is, is really just become familiar with the fact that there's certain topics that we just don't know much about yet. And we're kind of just grasping in the dark and we're, we're discovering like little things. And you might die before we ever figure these things out. And that's not happy. It's not a happy place to be in, but it's reality. And once you accept that, um, I think life is better. All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Umberto and I are about to step outside and take some promo pics with my wife, Stacy. She's going to take some new promo pics of us. Woo! Um, 
Uh, I'm a little insecure about my hair. I thought you said prom pics. I was came with my cummerbund and my little. What do you call the little flowers you put in the the what do you corsage call it? Or corsage? Corsage. Yeah. yeah, cummerbund. Oh yeah, cummerbund. Was the cummerbund you were supposed to have it up or you supposed to have it down? Benedict cummerbund. Yeah. Uh, down. I thought we saw it was up because then it would catch the the crumbs as, as when you're, when you're in. All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself. Stay skeptical because you deserve it.